says, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become foolish that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. That is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they're useless. So then, let no one boast in men. For all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas of the world, or life or death or things present or things to come. All things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. In this summary of exhortations, he says, first, let no man deceive himself. The kind of thinking that they were using in the church leading to division was foolish and worldly. That is to exalt men, to follow after men. And the second exhortation is in verse 21 where he says, let no one boast in men. It's needless to boast in men anyway, he says, because they all belong to you. You don't have to divide yourselves up and follow your favorite preacher. They all belong to you, just like you belong to Christ and Christ to God. So you see what he does here? He says, get your eyes off of men and focus on Christ. Focus on the Lord, because that's where unity comes from. As he goes on, Paul uses two word pictures to illustrate in an appropriate way to the of God's servants. He says, let a man regard us, who, Peter, Paul, Apollos, other ministry leaders, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. We'll want to read the rest of the text through verse 7. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy, but to me is a very small thing that I should be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time. But wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and dispose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied much to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that in us you might learn not to exceed what is written, but in order that no one of you might become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. For who regards you as superior? And what did you what do you have that you did not receive? But if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Notice in verse one the two pictures of God's servants. He calls us first the servants of Christ. The word servants here is a particular one. It is used only here in all of Paul's writings. It is a word that has a nautical origin. Some of you from your ancient history will remember that the Phoenicians 
nations were a very powerful uh, seagoing nation. They developed ships, and among those were ships called the Byrene and the Trireme. These were galleys that were used for commerce, but even more often for warfare. The Trireme, for example, had three banks of oarsmen. There was one on top, and another, and then another. The lowest bank of oarsmen were usually just a few inches above the waterline and right next to the hull. So in the case of a ship being rammed, you can see that their lives weren't worth much, and actually that's why they were there. They were called the under rowers. And all of the whatever that would drip down from above would end up on them. And that vulnerable and lowest of all positions on the trireme. That's the word that Paul uses here. He says, We are the under rowers of Christ. Now, the word over the hundreds of years leading up to the time of Paul came to have a broader meaning and meant one who is in a subordinate position, or one who is an assistant. For example, it is used in John Mark in Acts 13, where it says regarding Paul and Barnabas that they had John as their helper. It's this word, John was their assistant. It is used by Jesus of Paul in Acts 26, where he says, I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness. The word minister there is the same word. Paul, I am appointing you as my subordinate. I am appointing you as my assistant, my orderly, and as a witness of the gospel. So Paul says, if you want to think of us, think of us, first of all, as those who are the lowest of the low. As those of us who are the under-roars on a trireme, we're in a subordinate position, and that's what we are. We are the servants of Christ. And then he says we're also the stewards of the mysteries of God. A steward is not an unusual word for you. Most of you know that a steward in those days was the manager of a household. A wealthy patrician would appoint a steward to care for all of his affairs. This man would have delegated authority and would have prescribed limits, but within those limits he could do what he wanted to do. And ultimately the steward was accountable to his employer. So Paul says, if you want to think of us, think of us as that way. Not as heroes, but celebrities, but think of us as stewards that God has appointed over his deep truths. Those things that the world cannot discover, those things that God has revealed to us, the mysteries of God. He says, we are the managers, we are the stewards of those things, and to God we must give an account. Now, using these two terms, Paul is telling us that serving as a Christian leader 
Thank you. 
or not. I pray that we will seek to be those kinds of leaders so that one day when we stand before you for the final exam, we'll receive the praise that is due. What I'm talking about today is living as Jesus did. There's something I need to make very That is, the character doesn't save. You can be a person of character, a wonderful person, and go to hell. It's only Jesus who saves. The story is told about the judge in England a number of years ago, a judge in the Supreme Court who was bowing in prayer at the railing of the church with the man who had just been released from prison, the man he had sent to prison himself. After the services, he talked with the pastor. He said, Oh, what a marvelous example of God's grace. And the pastor said, Yes, it certainly is. And the judge said, No, I don't think you understand what I mean. He said, It's one thing for that criminal to be there, forgiven, a Christian. But he said, What an example of God's grace that I Thank you. 